This is CliffCentral.com. This is the biggest illegal gathering I've ever seen. I've heard what the last speaker had to say, and I agree. We are going to change South Africa. All we've got to decide is the best way to do that. And as angry as we have the right to be, let us remember that we are in the struggle to kill the idea that one kind of man is superior to another kind of man. And killing that idea is not dependent on the white man. We must stop looking to him to give us something. We have to fill the black community with our own pride. We have to teach our children black history. Tell them about our black heroes, our black culture. So they don't face the white man believing they are inferior. Then we'll stand up to him any way he chooses. Conflict if he likes. But with an open hand too. To say that we can all build a South Africa worth living in. A South Africa for equals. Black or white. A South Africa as beautiful as this land is. As beautiful as we are. This is CliffCentral.com. Good evening and welcome to the Cliff Cent- to the Country TT show on cliffcentral.com. It has been quite some time since we have been on air and done a live show. So thank you to everybody who has come in and, and still shown us our support. That was a clip from Cry Freedom, um, a speech by um, our fallen hero, Steve Biko, who died 41 years ago today in, 1990, in 1977. He was the leader of the Black Consciousness Movement, and he, as you can hear, was very much um, an avid supporter of, of, of Black Consciousness and, and teaching pride to black people and being proud of who we are. Um, he, pr- he pushed the, the ideal, ideology that... Um, no one man is superior or more superior than another person, and that um, so in 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 that in doing that that black people should not be afraid to be able to stand up and speak to white people and demand what they need to demand and to look at where we have come or how far we are um, forty one years later um, i I'm afraid we we haven't really done his memory proud. Um, we try, we definitely do try, but in our attempts, we still try and do it in a very Western way. And we've, lo- we've lost and forgotten our African roots in my personal belief or my personal, um, opinion. We, we don't, we try and bring in the Western world to, to the African way of life or the African way of being and it's two things that are very very conflicting and it's not working out and this is i think why we are moving forward at a very very slow pace if at all but yeah rest in power that is steve biko um also on the 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 topic of people who have um whose lives we have lost we have today was the memorial um of the firefighters who we lost in the fire in Bromfontein last week, Wednesday, the fire that took up so many, so many days to, or so many hours, almost 30 hours to get, to get, um, under control. So to the family of Nduduzi Nglovu, Kata, Katuchelo Muedi, sorry about that, Simpiwe Moropani, I sincerely, um, convey my deepest condolences. And we just pray that you guys will find um, closure or comfort in in 
in the support that you're receiving from the government. And I hope that something will come out of the out of this and that their lives were, were not lost in vain because even today's um this afternoon there was another fire that broke out again in Bromfontein and fortunately for that one it was able to be con- um, contained timelessly and within time and no lives were lost with that. Um yeah, that's where we are. So please do 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 give us a call or a WhatsApp, and um, our phone number is zero eight six one triple five one eight nine. Our WhatsApp number is zero seven nine seven four eight two zero nine zero. We are going to be talking about the technical recession that we're finding ourselves in in South Africa, and our president denies that there is such thing as a technical recession currently in South Africa. We are going to find out what it is, what this term technical recession means, and what is the difference between a technical recession and recession. Um, we have our guest in studios, Mr. Viv Govender, Mr. Gary Boysons, and Mr. Dumile Mzimela, who we've had in our studios before. Um, because here's the thing about it. In this technical recession, we are trying to find ways to curb um, the expenditure and to curb the government uh, debt that we're in or under. And it's it's... I don't know. We're trying to find ways and, 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 and solutions to fix it. DA has come up apparently with a 12 point plan that is supposed to be, um, helping to curb this, this, this downhill that we're on, which includes, um, privatizing ESCOM and SAA. And I don't know how that's going to go. Also bringing in more options for cons- consumers for electricity so that we at least have an option to choose between where we're going to be getting our, sourcing our electricity from. Um, that's one of the things that they have in mind. And a couple of other things, the, the land reform restructuring thing, um, they have come out to say that they're not against it. Uh, at least it, that I'm paraphrasing here, but that they would rather come in Will it be done in a way that is not so scary to the markets? I don't know how I feel about that statement, though, because, I mean, anything that seems to be pro-black people seems to be anti-markets. So what does that say about our markets? Anyway, moving right along. Um, and apparently our former president, Mr. Zuma, is going to be getting his full pension. <laughs> like, so I can't really say that he's not entitled to his full pension because he... Constitutionally, he's allowed to and he's entitled to it. Um, yes, and, and, and I mean, we can't really fight fire with fire with this one because in fighting fire and fire, we're going to be bringing the department of the presidency or the office of the presidency into, into like a, a bad place, you know. So we need to still respect the last standing office in government. <laughs> What's list, what little is left of it and still follow the constitution and do it right. And, um, but with that being said, I mean, the, the numbers were sitting at, I think, 179 to 79, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not quite sure what the numbers were looking like, but it was quite a, 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 a landslide, you know, and you're just sitting here like last week, the ANC members of parliament were talking about how, um, they, they, there's no collective, Zuma must take full responsibility for, for, um, for state capture and for the way the country is at the state of the country that is in right now because he, they can't be held accountable for what they did. But I mean, you look at these kind of things where they're given the voting power and they have the right to go and do something. And how many times was he voted with the state of no, um, the vote of no confidence? How many of those did he survive? And now they want to tell us that they, they can't be held accountable. Who's then supposed to be held accountable? That's something that's really missing in our country, accountability and for that we are suffering and for that there's so much um there's so much lost this so this is why we're sitting in such a current situation that we're in food prices are going up petrol prices oh, petrol prices <laughs> every day it feels like every day petrol's going up like you literally don't want to go anywhere you're walking more that's, that's you see this is why Ramaphosa started this walking in the morning campaign cuz he knew he knew what he was about to do with the petrol prices. We are here dying. But yeah. So please do join us in the conversation. Give us your thoughts and comments and um looking forward to speaking to you guys. After the song break, we're going to be having our guest in studio, Domilev, Mr. Viv and Mr. Gary. This is Cliffcentral.com. 
Um, welcome back to the Country Duty Show on Cliff Central. Um, do please call us or send us your WhatsApp numbers or WhatsApp numbers, um, your WhatsApp comments. Our WhatsApp number is 079-748-2090 and our call number or studio number is 0861-555-189. And you can tag us on at countryduty.za at tanful underscore k. Um, use the hashtag country duty, hashtag cliff central so that we can, be, oh, and at cliffcentral.com. How could I forget our host? Uh, then we can be able to catch your comments and read them out on air. So we've got our guest in studio today. Uh, welcome, Mr. Dumile Nzimela. <laughs> <laughs> you and that's the name. Yeah, uh, Mr. Gary Boysons and Mr. Viv Gavinder. Hello. Hi there. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Okay. Um, so, could you guys just tell us a little bit about, okay, except for Dumile, everybody knows Dumile now. So, Mr. you guys, um, Mr. Gavinder and Mr. Uh, okay, can I start with the Mr. Can I Viv and Gary. And yes. Gary. You guys are from Rantswiss. Correct. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. So, I suppose we started the company about three years ago. So, in a sense, we're a startup as well. Um, we've both been in the markets for many, many years, decades. Yeah. Longer for me. Longer for <laughs> <laughs> more gray hair. The gray yeah. hairs are telling. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, decided that we wanted to do it for ourselves, and we we basically run a, a stockbroking firm. That's how it began. Um, very much focused on on you know low cost, uh, very good quality access to markets for for clients, and uh, you know slowly developed into an asset manager as well. We've got a lot of managed portfolios. We manage on, on behalf of clients uh, their funds, and uh, have now a formative wealth division too, under Viv. Mm. Uh, that's basically it. Uh, what we, as we we saw in the market was that, you know, um, I was just speaking to a famous economist yesterday, and I'm not going to tell you what his name is, but he was talking about basically the money he put in for 20 years at a rather well-known asset manager in South Africa for his RA. Mm. And he said after 20 years, his performance was negative 1% nominal, not real. And what that means is basically the, if you added up all the money he put into that company over 20 years, mm-hmm. just normally, without any growth, he has slightly less right now than that number. Because of all the fees had been charged and all the other stuff out there. Wow. Okay. And uh, so this is basically what happens across all other people. Yeah, a lot of other people. Yeah. The problem is that, you know, uh, especially at the low end of the market, it's 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 virtually impossible to, with the systems that that are in place to to make like you know um, or to get clients etc. and make a living off it. And those guys that basically want to do that start doing things like, for instance, charging these upfront fees and charging you know in tools, uh, you know initiation stuff and so on. And then what you often see happening is this: yes, at the end of the time when you're 65 years old, retire, you have some money available. But I would say to you the following statistics what's amazing about South Africa. Uh, if you had to look at the entire of South Africa and just con- concentrate on people that have pension funds, that have RAs, etc., and then say, uh, what percentage of these people that actually have saved for retirement will have enough money to replace their last paycheck by 60%? And 60% is important. It's the minimum amount you can keep from your last paycheck and still maintain your lifestyle. You get below 60%, and yes, you're not uh, basically going to be on the streets, but you're not driving a Ferrari, you're now driving a, a Toyota, that kind of situation. And it's important to understand I'm touched. that. I drive a Toyota. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's something you stiff up. The world. <laughs> but you know what I mean? You, you, it, it's all about relative to where you were. And for, trust me, if, if Bill Gates woke up tomorrow and was rich as Oprah, he'd jump out of the building and cut his throat on the way down, according to Chris Rock. <laughs> you know, it's all about where you are versus what you, like your level is. And if you drop your income below 60%, you feel a lot of worse about yourself. But getting back to my thing, yeah, only about one in 10 people who have saved for retirement can retire and maintain their lifestyle. One in 10 in this country. Which is ridiculous. It's because of the fees that are being charged. It's because of the they've invested in the wrong instruments because they've done silly things like take their money out early and so on. And so I thought there was a gap in the industry, and therefore we could just by offering some simple good service, you know, really do well in that particular sector. So your fees are less, and you offer better advice. Simpler advice. Uh, basically, it's, it's more transparent. That's the one thing we are very proud of is that uh, mm. we we may never get to the top of all these, these these things, but the one thing we consistently do is get rated the most basically transparent uh, stockbroker in the country, which is something very important to us. You come to us, you basically sit down as a financial like you know, uh, client here and you say, what's happening? And we'll give you the exact truth that you need to know as opposed to having some kind of, you know, always like you're here. broke, do you need to do <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Let's put it this way, yeah. So, so I think the first the first year that we're in business, we, we, we compete always. Every year there's a there's a stockbroker's awards in, in mm. South Africa and, and they rank you. It's a very, very in-depth process of vetting a company. So they, they go through, obviously, all your systems, your websites. They come a mystery shop we get phone calls from fake clients. They open fake accounts. <laughs> uh, they then get us to survey our client base as well. So we send out questionnaires and all our clients say, yes, they 
great at this, they're bad at this. So it's a very robust process. And, and the first year that we competed, they, they obviously said, listen, we can't come out and say that you guys are the best brokers in South Africa. It's just not possible because, you know, you, you know, you're a year old and what would that mean if the financial mail was saying something like that so we we obviously ranked exceptionally well in all the categories you add it together we we technically should have won but uh, obviously we we couldn't rank the, so the they sec- couldn't the, rank you number one just because you're a year old we, we're too we're too young and, and i think that's an absolute really? absolutely valid it's a valid point but uh, we came back obviously the year afterwards and we've now holding currently the the ranking of third overall in south africa i'll give you the, the best stockbroker in the country is still standard bank um i mean you, we're competing with literally the largest retail bank in the market and we, we're, we're getting up there so there's a lot of advantages to being small being nimble as well but uh you know we, we're currently going through the the, the vetting process again this year we'll know on the 25th of september where we ranked this year and we, let us know. we're hoping to move up again <laughs> okay well that's that's interesting good everybody has awards so how do you get into those award system as a as my investors mm. would you advise me to go start up and invest a award ceremony somewhere and just like be like who's the best um i don't know book reader because <laughs> there's awards for literally everything mm. right now in this country but yeah. yeah, that's interesting. I'm sure that's a very booming no, market. I, I think it is, but at the same time, I think you know awards have a, have a place as well. I mean, if you know, obviously you've got to look at the institution delivering the awards. You've got to look at a lot of things. You've got to look at the vetting process. But in a way, it it helps the the retail public especially, and it goes to Viv's point as well. It's so difficult, you know, when you don't have a knowledge, and in our industry especially, where advice is so crucial, and you know, understanding very complex products, and and so much of it is related to trust. To have you know a third party come in and actually say. You know, here's our stamp of approval. It, I think it does mean a lot because, you know, the average man on the street unfortunately doesn't know the difference between good and bad advice. And quite often, as Viv, Viv says, you know, in our industry, so often the 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 talent that you get rewarded for is the amount of charisma that you have. It's, yeah. it's the amount you can get a client to trust you is what you're rewarded for, not how good your advice is, not how much money you make for your client, not how you protect your client, but how much you can convince him that you are the guy for the job. And that unfortunately you know, leads to a situation where you do need these awards, you do need third parties to come in and vet them and say, wait a minute, these guys might sound great, but they're terrible. <laughs> okay, that's true. I've I've just had a very bad experience with people who sound great on <clears throat> ways, but they're not. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, with now, I'm, I'm I'm just coming to to what you guys do. Do you guys have any any um, middle class? Or what do they call them? middle earners, middle income earners, or middle yeah. class people? What's the technical? Poor people. Yeah. Do you have me? <laughs> people who are like who who don't earn your. Um, I don't even know what is a lot of money these days. Like what fifty thousand rand. Okay. Uh, yeah. People earners who are who are investing money, or mm. who, because if you look at where we the the, the markets or the way things mm. are right now, people can barely even afford to save ten percent of their income because mm. that's your petrol. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 how do you, how do you then talk to people and encourage people to be like, okay, look, I understand that mm. you know when you look at it, you feel like maybe putting away your. 20% or 5% is not going to be important right now because at the end of the day, your child is looking at you on some, I need bread and milk, mm. and you mm. don't have that money for it because you've gone and invested it. Uh, but the, the thing about that is that what's good about the, 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 the middle income person is that they are not very different from each other in terms of what they need as products. Like, I mean, look at the, a wealthier person. You're going to have a very complicated suite of things that you've got to do for them. Like a like a person that brings you like 100 million or something. They they probably want to do things like offshore and they want to do things in like different little, little trusts and they want to have this, all these complicated things. And you'll charge them, you know, a percentage and that percentage pays because they have more money but also because they want more things from you. But generally, the, the, the trick of the market is this, right? For the majority of middle income and poorer people, you can follow a very simple, not very complicated system and get yourself into a point where you are you are settled for life. Just one example I'd put there. Anyone here that has a child, like a one-year-old child or something just been born, the thing you do for that <laughs> child immediately is get yourself you attached. Just say something just been born. <laughs> something just been born, yeah. You know, just yes. a baby, right? Okay. <laughs> what you do is the best thing you do is you take yourself and you put yourself the maximum yearly allowance for tax-free savings. Okay, simple tax-free savings account. You don't go and put it in something that's, you know, like an interest-bearing account. Put it into the, into the stock market, but put it through an offshore ETF. That's the trick. 
Okay. Now, what does this do for you? Just this once-off investment, 33,000 rands. The calculation is spectacular. If you if that child doesn't touch the money until it's 65, we need to tie the 65. Okay. Let's just say it lives that long and everything else goes a bunch of uh, plan. It can draw a monthly income of 20,000 rounds a month in today's money after inflation. 20,000 round income per month at 65 based on the 33,000 investment you've put in right now. So the child would never have to save for uh, retirement, never have to do anything like that. They just live on that one thing, just not touch it for 65 years, resist the temptation when they're 18 or 21 or 25 to do things with that money. But leave it till 65, and that money would basically get to the point where they are you know, uh, free, effectively, from reti- uh, retirement. And that is the kind of stuff that happens in the market. The crazy thing in the stock African market is this. The market returns a 7% real return on average. Okay? Guess what the average investor makes in South Africa in terms of real returns? But 1% or 2%. Wow. The differential between those two things are the fees, the switching, the bad pl- practices, and so on. Really? Yeah. It's mostly that kind of stuff. So... The thing is, like, what, what I see to people is this. There's a lot of things in life that are complicated, but are actually very simple. You want to be in shape, exercise more, eat less garbage. You know what I mean? Very simple stuff, right? You want to do bad no, at school? Not really, but okay. Yeah, but, <laughs> but, but, but that's, that's, the, that's the thing. The, the, simple the, say, difficult to do. Exactly. Yes. Want to be better at school? Study like an hour more a day. And you'll basically go up like two or three grade points, right? The stuff that needs to be done is very simple. And the problem is that people come to you and they expect you to think. Uh, I'm not saying that asset management is, is, is not complicated. Asset management is complicated. Choosing what to put your money is not as difficult as asset management. Putting money in like different areas that are suitable for a person's risk profile is not as complicated as some people make it out to be. And some people basically confuse clients and then hope to take money from the clients because the clients are confused. And that's what the issue in South Africa is at the moment. Confusion, ne? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Hi, Jimmy, how are you? I'm good. <laughs> really quiet over there. So, okay, now we come in here and then we talk about the technical recession. Re- what is a technical recession? Like, why is it not a recession recession? Because somebody actually pointed out something to me. Yeah. And I, I was just like, oh, okay, wow. The Great Depression or the Great Recession. What was it called? Depression. Depression. Yeah. Was at 25%. Like <laughs> 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 was at 25%. And right now, we're sitting at 27%. Yeah. So or minus 27%. Yeah. So, these are all, in my opinion, very academic terms. So, technical recession, kind of, the, the, the definition is that we have, that the... Economy has shrunk for two quarters in a row. So in the first quarter of this year, the South African economy declined, I think, by 2.2%, but it's been revised up now to 2.6%. So it means more data came in and they made better calculations. Um, and in the second quarter, we're down 0.7%. So it, it basically means there's two quarters where our economy has shrunk, um, in simple terms. The reason it's technical versus a normal recession, as I say, it's it's pretty much academic and mostly because the term recession is quite an alarmist term and also the tools that you use in a recession from a decision-making perspective particularly for government and for business makers are different right so if you have an expectation that you you've had an anomaly and that the economy is going to recover you don't kind of have panic bells but if you think that it's going to go on for quite a long time you do very different things with your money and with um Financing decisions um, that business. So, for example, take. China would not have come into South Africa to buy it if they knew that we are going to be. No, no, China it. would always come and buy it. They, <laughs> they've got a they've got a very different global outlook um, <laughs> as a country. But for 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 us as South Africans, it's actually quite interesting because I saw a tweet this week and I didn't believe it until I researched it. Is that we've actually been in a per capita recession for ten years, um, and and so. I think South Africans mostly get obsessed about these stats and these numbers and what's happening from week to week and that kind of thing. Um, the bigger conversation is around what is the long-term view? What are we doing as a country? Where are we going? Um, and I the think plan. what's the plan? The 12-step plan. <laughs> yeah, I, I get into trouble when I say this, but that's really the heart of the conversation that we need to be having as opposed to kind of looking at these short-term numbers that will come out from time to time. But the long-term trends are a little bit worrying. Um, 
and we're 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 at the moment as a as a small economy, a small global economy, we're kind of getting into the eye of the storm, um, where our currency is devaluing. We've got um, a lot of external factors that are increasing around costs. So one is definitely the oil price, which affects the petrol price, which affects inflation, which affects the interest rates, which affects everything. yeah. So um, that's kind of the longer term conversation that needs to be had. Is like where are we going? What are we trying to do? Um, and less on Is there a direction numbers. that we can take? I mean, as outside of uh, buying SA out and SAA out and uh, ESCOM out and <laughs> and making them private companies, is there a way that that can be? So, so yeah, in my view, there's two things um, specifically, and I'm making very broad statements for the sake of the conversation, as opposed to kind of going into detail. Um, the first thing is that we need a macro. Kind of policy that needs to stabilize and be more certain. Um, and then the second thing is, and I think you've got the right people in the team, is that we need to do more around personal finance that needs to be managed at the bottom. Is 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 you b- because you you have an economy that's kind of uh, in the wind at the moment, and I. Hopefully I'm not going to get in trouble for that statement um, But you need to kind of ev- um, Teach people like ordinary Dream. South Africans How to kind of make better financial decisions And how to build Kind of an economy from the bottom up um, But the other side of it is that The leadership and this is both Government and all sorts of other Institutions, business leaders Need to also kind of get into a place where they're making More stable, more long term decisions And I think we're a little bit away from that so it's going to get A bit worse before it gets better So how is this then affecting your guys' clients? Oh, it's a very, very good question. So, yeah, Viv will take you through the, the economic side of it, but uh, but certainly, I mean, we can feel that that clients are under pressure as well. So, so I think two things. So, you know, the one is that there's certainly a lot of fear in in, in South Africa, fear around investing, fear about, about investing in the local market. So we've we've just been down to Durban to go and talk uh, on behalf of the JSE at their power hour. We went with a very pro-South Africa focus, trying to say that there's value in, in some of these South African companies. It's very there's, hard to prove that. There's a because, huge you know, amount of pessimism. The corruption and corruption is a huge discussion. We'll have to come back for another show to discuss <laughs> corruption. But, but, but really, really, they, we, we went with a huge, and the pushback was enormous. And, and it was, we were, we were the idiots. What? You want to buy South Africa? That's crazy. Now we, you can know, I just, sorry to interrupt you, but I mean, even with the, with the, with the response that, that was given about what, uh, the China deal. And then he said no confidentiality. And everybody was just like, wait, what? With whose money? You know, we don't have that trust anymore. And Absolutely. it's not just with our personal money. It's, it's, it's not, I mean, not just with the government money, but with our personal money personal as well. Personal money as well. And, and absolutely, we're seeing a lot of fear, which I think does breed opportunity. I think there's a lot of very good quality businesses on our exchange that are perhaps at very low valuations. And, and you could buy into them and, and we'll probably do okay in future. But at the same time, it also comes down to diversification as well. We, we live, you know, in, in a global economy and you know while we've you know had very stringent exchange controls they have been loosened and, and you know as we've said i mean he was talking about tax free savings account the government has given the whole of south africa an, an incredible gift with, with a tax free savings account it, it really is a unique product um but inside that you can put in an msci world you can go and get exposure to the world you can go and get exposure to the best and brightest minds in the u.s and europe and you know you can get exposure to, to chinese companies as well like it's it's a very exciting place to invest and, and we we have the, the the option to do that but but certainly i mean we can feel it as well like i mean south africa there's a lot of pessimism um there's a lot of reasons for that pessimism as well but uh yeah i think in any environment there's opportunity as well and i think that's i, I, was, I was speaking to a um it's basically a legal practitioner who who advises a lot on fdi deals last week and i kind of you know put put the question to him i said with all the pessimism are you seeing you know with the potential of of a downgrade mm-hmm. are we seeing money flowing he says oh my clients don't care they they kind of understand the, the project that they're investing in they understand the risk they've priced the risk as well and the money is coming in he's doing more more flow into south africa than he's ever done before so there are very specific opportunities i'm not saying that you know, with policy certainty, we can't get an incredibly, uh, incredibly large improvement in our, our in investment climate. I think we can attract a lot more, um, uh, you know, foreign direct investment. But it's it's still there. There are still opportunities, and I think you know, clients and and investors need to understand that. Is mm. there any way that mm. we that like with the with the policy 
what do you call it? Policy certainty. That, that <laughs> one. Like, how, who, who then do we look to to say, okay, you need to now give me something that I can feel comfortable in or secure in? It's, 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 it's a very difficult conversation, specifically, and this is quite, it, it, it's usually part of normal course, right? The year before an election, things get very uncertain because um, politicians have to make promises. It's, it's just par for the course, and so they're not able to anchor themselves to very specific policies. The difference this time is that we're in a global economy that's in very choppy waters, right? So um, the U.S. is having a trade discussions with the Chinese, who are some of our biggest um, trading partners around the world. Um, there's pressure for emerging markets when currencies are in, in turmoil. So there's there's a lot of uncertainty in the global economy in general. So when you add to that the fact that Local South African policy is also quite uncertain. I mean, we've got the question of land, but there's there's many other questions. There's national health. There's there's other questions that education. you know. There's education. There's um, this week. There's been discussion around crime rates, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and usually, you would look to government and business. You know, both equally accountable to come out and say. Um, this is our long-term projection. This is what we want to do. This is, these are these are the industries we want to regulate. This is how we want to regulate them. This is what will change in the future. This is what we're doing. The problem is we are six months away from an election, and we've got some vigorous campaigning that comes from dif- from the opposition parties. Um, we've got a relatively new president who's doing a lot of international travel and is is taking a lot of international elements. But he's got the the, the know-how I need to because he's 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 clever. Okay. <laughs> in in theory, that's true, but he's also balancing a lot of factors. He's, he's balancing a lot of, you know, South Africa's economy is actually it's a political economy as much as it's a normal economy. It's a political economy because there's there's a lot of concentration of power. You know, um, we have one ruling party that has been in power for. 20 years plus and they have a lot of internal battles a lot of internal strife um they are individual figures i don't want to name names who are very (laughs) charismatic and very well known who kind of by saying a very few things a lot of things change from an economic perspective a lot of our industries are they're not small industries but there's very few players in them and so the south african kind of the way the south african economy works is that if the big guys don't stand up and say something very specific the rest of the market kind of has to guess their way through and a lot of that is happening a lot of that is happening in mining it's happening that in in business um ah, business confidence um because people have no clarity can it we diversify the government can you diversify Can government? We, uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's a, you, you need a much more smart uh, political um, view on that. There are discussions as, as we speak about do we change the way we vote for, for government? Do we vote for the party? Do we vote for individuals? And that does, in effect, diversify government, you know, where you have people more accountable to constituencies similar to what they do in the U.S., um, and mm, possibly, I don't know, I don't know if we can more use the U.S. government as an example. I mean, look at this man right now out here killing people and going but away. But also with it. <laughs> growing one of the best economies in the world. How are they you know? doing it right? So how are the other economies doing it right? Where <laughs> yeah, they're going around <laughs> killing people, <laughs> doing things yeah, wrong. I mean, he's <laughs> treating absolute trash, and he's still he's still coming out just like unfazed. And we're out here drowning, and what we're saying is new dawn, but we're drowning. <laughs> like we're saying the right things, but the action is not. It's it's not correlating. But the outcomes in the U.S. Yeah. are very good right now. The, the, the reason is, quite frankly, the U.S. system is the best economic system in the world. Okay, The way that they operate their economy is the best in the world. And we compare sometimes the Europeans to the Americans. You look at the per capita GD, uh, GDP numbers in Europe compared to America, and it's amazing how much poorer the Europeans are to the Americans. I mean, the average British person is like, I think, 30-something% poorer than the average American person. Wow. I mean, and the thing is that not only are they poorer, they're growing slower. So they're behind and they're falling further behind. And the reason for that is that the U.S. system, like I said, is the best system in the world. And why is that? Is because they, they found the things, and this is something known since Adam Smith. What you want to do to grow an economy is have, you know, secure property rights to have, you know, more risk regulation to have, you know, uh, easy taxation, uh, the, the rule of law, that kind of stuff. And you do that and you take a island in the middle of a bay that's been empty for forever and you turn it in the year 2018 into the place on earth with the most billionaires in the world, which is Hong Kong. Hong Kong has more billionaires in New York City. Wow. And How it, and, do, uh, okay. <laughs> and, and, and why is that? It's because basically you give people freedom and what most government officials don't realize, and this is a fact, 
is that if you put somebody's you know money on the stake, mm-hmm. they'll work harder and think harder than any government official that's just basically ticking a box. Capitalism's great gift to the world is the fact that it makes the person that makes the decision responsible for the decision and rewarded for the decision. So it's almost like how businesses right now are, tr- are being encouraged to have to give their employees shares mm. in the in the government in in the business, mm. so that the, they can work harder at yeah at doing the, the the growth for the profits. Yeah, the stake in the business makes you work harder. I mean, you know how that is. If you went to work every day and I give you a paycheck, irrespective of whether you came in or not. How many days would you come into work? Very few. Well, I'm a very moral person and very ethical. But I'd go in every day. Of course you would. Of course you would. <laughs> but that's the thing with the U.S. That the Donald Trump is a is is not the most brilliant person in the world. That's mm-hmm. by any measure, right? Mm-hmm. But what he's doing is a couple of things. Firstly, he's reduced regulation significantly. He's reduced taxation, and in the short term, that's very powerful. The one thing that he's going to do in the longer term is going to cause deficits that are going to be a huge issue for the U.S. But they continue to grow at 4.2 percent a year, like they're growing right now. Guess what? Even with like you know, the other issues around deficits, they, they, can, they can handle that. If you grow fast enough, you can handle deficits because your growth rate is so spectacular. And what I want to bring out another point is that in South Africa, our politicians react or act as if they are going for the first time and trying to get a country from being poor to being rich. They act like it's never been done anywhere else in the world. Like they are inventing these new policies. About Unless you ask them a question, then they say, we're not the only ones. You're not the only ones. <laughs> exactly. But the problem is that, you know, who do we want to be like? We want to be like those East Asian countries. Why? We can't be like Norway. We can't be like America. We can't be like UK because those countries take a couple of lifetimes to get from being poor to being rich. Mm-hmm. If you want to have it happen while you are still alive on earth, you've got to do the growth rates that they're seeing over in China and in Japan or in South Korea and in Thailand. And they did very specific things. And the one thing that we are doing in this country that's totally wrong and that they have done in any, every other country in the world that's actually succeeded is we are focusing on the wrong sector. What's all the discussion in South Africa about? Land. Mm-hmm. Okay. How big do you think the agricultural sector in South Africa is? How many percent of the economy? Yes. Uh, I don't know. I thought it was actually bigger. <laughs> Four. Four. Four percent. You could take every single bit of agricultural. Four percent. Four percent of the entire economy, the agricultural economy, right? But that's just agricultural. Okay. How about mining combined okay, agriculture? Okay, with land and okay, yeah. Okay, how if much you, you combine th- those two? How big? Okay, well, if you just said four, then mining it can't be that much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sitting here, just like wow. Okay, so eleven percent combined mining and agriculture. Mining is seven. Agriculture is four. How big is the financial sector? So who are we supposed to be concentrating on? How big is the financial sector compared to the... Living for mining, all of land, that's mining and agriculture is 11. The financial sector is 20. Our, our industry is twice as big as the whole of mining and the whole of agriculture. But you can't be rich on the financial sector. You can't be rich on the agriculture sector. You can't be rich on the mining sector. There's only one thing that every single country that's been rich in the way that we want to be rich okay, has done, and that is manufacturing. Why? couple of reasons. Firstly, you can't take an uneducated person uh, who hasn't gone to university and put them in the financial sector. They won't work. But you can take that person, give them a couple of months of training and have them in a similar uh, doodad and give them more training and more education over time, give them classes once or twice a year, etc. And at the end of 10 and 15 years, that'll be an expert with certain machines or certain equipment and so on. The great thing about a human being is this. The more a human being works, unlike any machine in the world, the better it becomes. Okay, you take a truck and you drive it for a thousand kilometers or ten thousand kilometers or a million kilometers. That truck is way worse at the end than it was at the start. You take a human being and you work there for twenty years. That person is so much more capable after twenty years than they were at the start. I'm I'm finding it weird that you're nodding because you're like such an avid fan of AI. <laughs> no, I am. So so uh, we, uh, we had this conversation today. We diverged a little bit on some of these topics. Um, in that, and we didn't have this topic. So my thing about the conversations that are happening that are happening in South Africa are mostly backward looking, right? So we have a lot of a lot of um, issues around restitution to in this fix country. The foundation. I know we've had this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, they they are a lot of, and that's why I say the South African economy is a political economy, right? So it's it's one thing to look at like the pure economics and the pure uh, um, numbers and and know what should be done and how you build a great economy, which is fantastic when you have a populace that understands and wants to come with you, as well as a political class that is that way inclined. We unfortunately are not in that situation. So restitution is a huge, huge deal in this country. 
what I think we do wrong about the restitution conversation is that it is backward looking. And as a result, we'll always be, you know, you always, the, the state can always move, right? So this was bad 20 years ago. This was bad 30 years ago, 50 years. You can always go back and find more and more um, disenfranchisement. My feeling is that we need to have more forward-looking conversations that are inclusive. And I think that's that's possibly where we diverge mm. a little bit on the idea of um, capitalism and, and whether it, it grows an economy equally, unequally, or fast, or that kind of thing. Capitalism undoubtedly is the best economic system that's ever been invented, right? The empirics tell you that capitalism has built the world. You know, the phones we have, the technology we have, were built by capitalism. But... Today, we're talking more about building inclusive societies, and part of that conversation has to discuss restitution, has to discuss the social side of things, where how do we build an economy that's going to fit in most of our children, and my feeling is the land conversation doesn't go far enough, because exactly, agriculture is never a way to build an economy, so even restoring land... It may build the restitution side of it, but it does not address the fact that we're trying to build an economy, build incomes, grow skills, education, and that kind of thing. So I actually think my diversion is that the conversation is not big enough. It It is usually very concentrated, and it's a political conversation around how do you get people to to... I don't want to say vote for you, but how do you get people to be on your side? Um, and we need to have a broader conversation around how do you build modern economies? What do we need to give up today? What okay. do we need to do? And so how do we become more inclusive? Do you not think that part of the reason that um, this, uh, well, the land part of, of the economy is so, or the sec- yeah, land sector, mm. let's call it land sector, is doing so badly is possibly because the resources that we get from the land we do not know how to refine them, how to use them to our benefit. Instead, we sell them at a very low cost, at their very bare minimum, to people or countries like China, who yeah. then buy them for us at a lower rate and then sell them back to us refined. So that is why right now mm. I feel we should be concentrating on the place because we ha- these are natural resources. These are things that we have. Yes, fine, we've got the financial sector as well. But we could grow all three sectors Person, I don't know. Maybe this is just textbook mm-hmm. theory. But if we had to take the the gold that we have that we come we get, and we had to refine it ourselves, and we had to fix it ourselves, and by the time we sell it back to the US or we sell it to the US, not even back to them, we do everything ourselves here. And in that way, we do. That's also I don't know somehow doing manufacturing stuff, or bringing manufacturing jobs, or growing the manufacturing sector because we're doing it here. We're creating the jobs here. Why do we need to always? Take our things that we have, take them across to the West, and then we buy them back at 150% profit. And then we wonder how come they're succeeding and how come China is able to buy us out because we gave him the money to buy us. Okay, the question that arises, what happens in 100 years' time when there's no gold? Then we then we have nothing. We built an industry around a... a, a no, but we've got the money. Yes, but if you want to get the money, here's the thing, right? The, the, the way... You want to build an industry that's going to be forever in your country, right? If you if you focus on a natural resource that is non-renewable, like gold or any kind of natural resource, effectively you are putting a death sentence on your country when that thing runs out. Because what happens to your whole all money doesn't matter. It's people that matter, and the way you get the country rich, you can take a country like Japan and blow it out of the out of the, out of the earth, right? Get it down to nothing. Take a place like Germany and do that, and they recover within five, ten, fifteen years. Why? Not because of the things they have. It's because of the people they have. And if you basically focus a, a, a nation on natural resources, the, you don't develop your people enough. If you want to exploit natural resources to the fullest ability, what you do is you create cartels, like OPEC is. And you, then you make the most money you can out of the natural resource while you have it. And when it's gone, you've redu- you get the, the biggest thing. But if you want to create a, a country that's going to be successful into the future, you start your people making something. First, let's just say they start making toy cars. Like, and this is what all these countries have done. China made junk. Japan made junk. Every one of these countries starts making junk little doodads, little things, right? And then over time, as you get people making junk, they get better at making junk and they can make more than junk. And then China goes from making junk to making something better than junk to making iPhones to making Huawei phones. Japan goes from making junk to making something better than junk to making Toyota to making PlayStation and over time. And this is the part that 
every single of these East Asian countries has followed. Taiwan, South Korea, uh, the only exception is Singapore, but Singapore is an island state. It's a different kind of situation. But every one of the countries that we want to be like, and like I said, we want to be like these countries because they, you go back to South Korea after the, the, the Korean War. South Korea was, cheap, was, was, was basically poorer than Ghana. That was the average per capita income in South Korea, poorer than Ghana. South Korea right now, they're the second biggest or the biggest smartphone maker in the world. And they didn't go from being one to the other. I didn't care about natural resources. They cared about basically making sure that their people got to the next level. But you can get people to the next level while they while while they're getting while using <laughs> the resources that they have. Because it's not just the gold that we're going to be looking at, but it's all the resources that the land can give to us. Yeah, because it's everything that we 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 reproduce or we re- we don't do it ourselves. We don't we don't refine it ourselves. Yep. We don't we don't get it to um, consumer levels by ourselves. We yeah. always have to go and bring in people from freaking. Look at our fire stations right now, for <laughs> example. I know it's not even, but mm. like our fire engines. Mm. Um, the the I don't know who the hell he was, but he was on on either at the time, and he was like, "No, we have we have forty four fire station fire trucks." Oh, okay. And how many of those are working? Mm. Four. And forty, and the reason why only oh well fourteen of them are working out of forty four, and the reason why is because they're waiting for people from outside of Africa hmm. to come in and fix the ones that they have right now. Why? Okay. You but want to tell yeah. me that we do not have the ability to build or create our own trucks. But you, but you have to focus your population to build these things. If you, if, there's, a, there's a well-known term in, 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 in economics called Dutch oil disease, right? What it is is that you found that the Dutch economy actually suffered when they found oil because so much of the resources was concentrated to go into Warren's oil that that's where the money was to be made. And that the rest of the... You, it's, it's like... An economy can't have every focus. It has to have certain focuses, right? And if you focus on natural resources, what happens in the short term, it, it, you get richer. But in the long term, look at the place in the world that has the most natural resources. It makes tons of money off it. Do you want to be in an economy like Saudi Arabia? But you reinvest your, your short-term gains into your long-term gains the, of educating the, the, the people. The issue around Dutch disease that, that I was talking about, basically because you, you're now exporting a huge amount of commodities as well, your currency naturally, naturally strengthens, which makes your labor that much less competitive. So your manufacturing sector never develops. So you never get the skills that you require. So when it runs out, you, mm-hmm. you're, you're in a lot of trouble. But, it, but it's interesting to say that because, I mean, just to take the discussion back to the mining sector, I mean, we, we were sitting at uh, a mining presentation. There was a number of external CEOs uh, presenting. On, on the various companies that, that we're looking at. It was one of the companies just explaining the difference between mining in Australia versus mining in South Africa. And really, the, the argument that he was making is that we have the skills. That mining is something that we've done for a long time. We understand mining very, very well. If you take the number of skilled engineers and, 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 and mining professionals in Australia, we, we are one for one with them very, very easily. We have a sector that is as developed. The issue there, again, comes back to, to the, the discussion around policy uncertainty. And that is what was, is killing us. Not the, the not the people. The people mm. are there. The people have the skills, and the people are good enough to do the job. It's just you know the, the, this very top layer is kind of letting everything down by not having the certainty. I mean, I'm talking about the mining chart. I'm talking about a lot of things. That if we can just get that you know what, whatever the decision is, make it stable and make it something that uh, people can understand. We'll see investment and we'll see the sector booming. So, as I think we've seen, we've seen so much go. You know, in other countries, we have templates for this. Like, we know what to do. We just have to have the will, the political will, and, and this comes out, <laughs> yeah. the political and will, the to, business will, I, to, I to, to get it, to get it, to get it through. Absolutely, yeah. but so, so collaboration. So, one of the ways I, I genuinely talk about uh, an economy is that an economy is kind of like a project, right? So, there's there's and you look at South Africa, we're one of the most underserved economies, right? There's 6 million unemployed people, there's kids without um, schools, there's a lot to do, there's right? Right. So, so you've got you've got a weird situation where you've got a lot of labor that's available and a lot of work that needs done, but there's no connect in the middle of it, right? And there's huge amounts of value if you can connect both of those pieces. The problem is that that is not the discussion, right? Like I think mm-hmm. one of one of the divergences for me between business and 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 government and other kind of um, I want to say civic society as well is that 
there's usually a very specific focus, right? Like government is looking to do this one thing. Uh, business is looking to maximize this one thing. But a lot of the time that doesn't lead to a good sustainable economy because everybody and, and South Africa is one of the most extractive societies, right? Um, in that most of the businesses that are most of the big businesses in South Africa are foreign run businesses. So profits do tend to go overseas. Investment tends to be under certain conditions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's because we don't have a localized economy in this country, and one of the biggest reasons we don't have a localized economy is because. We don't have the coordination around the project, right? And this is where policy certainty is really important. Even bad decisions are better than no decisions, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's that people will work around the policy. A lot of the time, if if taxes are going up, you'll hire more tax attorneys and more tax practitioners, but you will know what you're doing. You'll know that, okay, taxes are going to increase. They're going to increase at this rate. This is how, and you can plan your investment strategy. If you know that there's an unbundling of regulation, you know that, okay, we're going to move resources from the regulation guys to the commercial guys in a business. And so if you think about an economy as a project, it needs project managers and project leaders. And that's a lot of what we suffer from in South Africa. Everybody's got their own section of things they're trying to do. Um, even the financial industries. One of my criticisms around financial industries is it starts with the assumption that I have money, right? So there's already this big gap around people with no um, investments, with no insurance, with no – like they have no financial safety nets. They don't even understand the subject. But a lot of those people have either never earned an income or don't know what to do with the little income that they have, like you spoke about initially. So there's gaps in those areas. But if we have a coordinated strategy across industries, across um, government, across civil society, across um, all the, all our big um, sectors, we can then start to build something that starts taking shape. And I think like Vib is saying, you can't do everything. So there has to be... You know, one or two specific focuses, you know, are you developing around technology, engineering? Are you developing the natural resources? But we don't really even have that, you know. But you sound very much like you're building a dependent society. Dependent on? On government. No, government has to set direction. That's their job. In fact, most of what government does is to make laws, right? To say, this is what you can do, this is what you can't do. Business has the job of saying, okay, I have access to capital, I have access to resource, this is how I allocate resource. But they can't allocate resource into places where they know that there's no future, or rather they won't. And so it is government's job to set the direction, it is business's job to then take that direction and invest into the country. And that's, that's you know, we talk, I talked earlier on about the referee, you, you know, business is supposed to get stuff done. Government is supposed to be a good referee, but when they're not refereeing or they're not giving the rules or they're doing the rules at random, then everybody sits in the stuck situation. And then what happens is we wait for the next external wave. Petrol price goes up, then we have to deal with it. Stop talking about the petrol price. <laughs> it's going up. It's going up. So okay, how? Okay, just in closing, how yeah. how are you protecting or sheltering? Unless that's a business secret, your clients <laughs> from the knock that's about to come. Because I personally, like you said, there's no plan. So there's no way that we can expect, um, you know, Jorge, at the end of the, the, the fourth quarter, we're going to not be in a recession. I, th- I think it, it comes down to a, a couple of things. Our, our clients, we work with clients, you know, across the board as well. So, I mean, from a, from a, you know, very complex structuring point of view. I mean, we, <laughs> we, we can talk at length about the, the various structures. I think it's, again, it's, it's too much to talk about in closing, but I mean, we, we're looking at capital protective structures. A lot of our clients do have a lot of offshore exposure, but then on the other end as well, we do an enormous amount of kind of pro bono teaching as well. You go to ranswiss.com forward slash events. We do free events, which is financial literacy for, for clients over and over again. We have, we run normally every Thursday for, uh, you, you know, uh, at least four weeks of a month that mm. we, we've, we've got events coming up and I mean that they're free to all there's no restriction on who can come to those and it's very much about developing and understanding and I mean there's there's no reason not to not to not to learn and I mean that you know in a way we're, we're trying to shelter everyone in that yeah I mean like the next one we're doing is on retirement how do you retire what is a living annuity what's a retirement annuity walking you through the steps is what happens when people retire because one of the things in this country is actually you don't realize this but you know for uh, for some of the brokers out there a person about to retire is like the juiciest fattest you know, fruit on the tree because they'll come to you and they'll do your retirement annuity and convert it to living annuity and they'll charge an upfront fee on that thing 
which can be as much as one and a half percent of your total retirement assets. So if you've worked your entire life here and they're taking out as much as maybe a quarter of what your maximum yearly would draw in in the first, like, first within the conversation. And then they'd add on another fee on top of that. And so people get into these situations where, like, I've had clients come to me, not joking, who are paying the broker more out of the retirement funds than they are taking themselves. The broker and the asset manager and the platform combined is taking more of the retirement funds than they're taking themselves. So that's the kind of stuff out there. That, that's yeah, the, yeah, yeah. If, if we can just shelter the average people <laughs> from, from predatory from <laughs> investment professionals, yeah. I think we're doing a good job. Okay, so thank you so much for joining us tonight. Time is never on our side, but yeah. we will have a follow-up very soon, maybe like in the next petrol increase. <laughs> that has been the show for tonight. Good night. Cheers, thanks. This is cliffcentral.com.